Seth, you make my face hurt for, for, for all the good reasons, because I'm smiling so much. I also love the fact that he makes me sound like I talk slow, which is just awesome, because usually he talks too fast. Well, let's get over it. Hey, I am so glad you guys are here today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 15. In just a moment, if you've got your Bible, I always encourage you to bring the Word with you. If you don't have a Bible, you don't have one at home, you feel free to grab one on the back wall and keep that as our gift to you. We want you to have the Word. But we'll be in Genesis 15. We'll get there in just a minute. Uh, I just want to highlight something that, that uh, Seth referred to that I want to give my senior pastor underscore highlight to the, uh, re, uh, the uh, meeting that's happening next door at the 11 o'clock service, yes, at 11 o'clock, uh, regarding neighboring groups. Some of you still have questions. You're not sure. You've thought about it. I want to remind you of two things. One is this is not the, the, the great suggestion. It is the great commandment that we are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And I am absolutely convinced that this is critical for us if we're to reach the 80, 85% in our communities who don't go to church anywhere, they don't know Jesus. And we just start by loving them. No agenda, no religious thing. We just love them. We build bridges of relationship. What a radical idea. And I know something that I'm not sure if I'm interested. I'm not sure if I want to do that. I'm not sure if I want to open my home. Listen, once a month, you can do this. And I want to encourage you, if you're not willing to host it in your house, then find a group that's in your neighborhood and get involved. And go to that Q&A at the 11 o'clock. We need to get you guys signed up for this. We really want you involved. The other thing um, I want to mention is that without neighboring groups, without neighbors loving our neighbors, I wouldn't be here. And, I thought, and my wife brought this up uh, this last week. We were talking on the road. She said, you know, when we first moved into our first, uh, second apartment, actually, when we were early uh, newlyweds, uh, right next door to us was a guy named Joe and Lena and Whitworth. And Joe and Lena uh, came over as we moved in, knocked on our door. She had a plate of cookies, said hi, and they became lifelong friends. To this day, Joe is my pastor. Uh, because of him, I went on staff at Faith Center in Eugene. Because of him, I was on staff at Life Center for five years. Uh, and because of him, we started this church. And it's that relationship. It just was so cool for me to think of. It was out of that relationship that started as neighbors loved on neighbors. So this is a cool thing. Big deal for us. We're going to keep beating the drum. You're either going to get really tired of hearing this or you're going to get excited about it. I hope the second thing is true. You'll get excited. I'll tell you a story. Um, we're we're uh, going to deal with something brand new series today called Four Letter Words. Before we get there, I want to kind of set it up by telling you something that I went through. A couple months ago, I'll make a long story pretty short. went to the doc for my physical. doctor looked at a mole on my back, which I don't look at my back very often. So I couldn't see it. And he said, yeah, I don't like the way that looks. I want you to go see a dermatologist. Okay, fine. So I go to a dermatologist actually just a week ago and finally get in. They're like, you know, the busiest doctors on the planet, I guess. And I get to the end of the dermatologist. And sure enough, she goes, no, nah, that's kind of irregular. I don't like the color. I don't like the shape. I'm going to carve that puppy out of your back. And I mean, I got a hole the size of, you know, it's like, I'm, I, I guess it was a really big mole. But anyhow, she dug this thing out of my back and said, well, get a hold of you. About five business days, we'll let you know. We're going to biopsy this and do the pathology, whatever, find out whether it's cancerous or not. Now, when you've had cancer, I'm four and a half years cancer-free. Uh, so it's awesome. Yep. But I will admit to you, when you've had cancer in your body, when somebody uses the C word around you, just for a second, your heart kind of skips beat. Just for a second. Now, I'm going to die of something someday. Something's going to kill me sooner or later. So it's not like I'm afraid to die, but the whole cancer thing just sucks. And it's really miserable, and it's hard, and I don't like it, and all, but, you know, so it's like, oh, man. So anyhow, it'd be five days or so before we get back in touch with you. Okay, cool. Fast forward. That was a Tuesday. Friday. 3.46 on Friday afternoon, my phone rings. 
I don't answer my phone on Fridays. If you call me on Fridays, I'm not going to answer it because you, and sometimes I don't even turn it on. But uh, I, I, I looked, I said, I didn't recognize the number. I thought, wow. And so I just put it back in my pocket and, and let it be. About five minutes later, six minutes later, I thought, huh, maybe that was the dermatologist. Would have been early, but maybe I'll check. And so I listened. At 4.01, I listened to the voicemail. Here's pretty much what the lady on the other end of the phone from the dermatologist's office said. Hi, Kurt, uh, this is so-and-so from a so-and-so dermatologist, blah, blah, blah. Uh, pause. We really need you to call us back first thing Monday morning. Eight o'clock is when our office opens. Please get a hold of us as soon as possible. Click, hangs up. So it's 401 now. So I call him right back, right? And here's the voicemail. Uh, we're sorry, our office is closed at 4 o'clock. I was not very Christian at that moment. In fact, I'm sure the tone of my voice and the message I left said it all because I didn't swear, though in my heart I was swearing. Um, but I, I, I was pretty curt with the response and said, get the little pun there, curt, get hammer. Um, I, I left a response that wasn't very nice. And then I thought, man, I've got to wait. I, do the math. I had to wait 64 hours. 4 o'clock, 4.01 on Friday afternoon to 7, you know, 59 or 8 o'clock on Monday morning. Well, 7.56, I get a call from the dermatologist's office. They are apologizing profusely. I mean, she's, she must have said, I'm sorry, 10 times. I'm so sorry. I, should, I, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I, should. I said, yeah, yeah, think. And I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know how you mouth things that you don't really say to people? So I'm saying, oh, you're so forgiven. It's all right. <laughs> and then she's, but the good news is you're cancer-free. Oh, yeah! <clears throat> 64 hours of waiting. I'm just here to tell you, I don't like to wait. I don't like waiting at all. Four-letter words of the Bible. Guess what word we're talking about today? Wait. Wait. And by the way, uh, the words we'll be looking at in this series in October are not four-letter words that got your mouth washed out with soap when you were a little kid. Anybody ever have that experience? Yeah, that's really, now they probably throw you in jail for that. But uh, it's not the kind of word you'd yell or scream when you hit your thumb with a, a hammer. That's not the four-letter words we're talking about. The four-letter words are not foul words, though they might make you feel foul when you hear them. And again, the word today is wait. Not a happy word or happy place for most of us. No kid on the planet. I've raised four kids. I've got seven grandchildren. No kid on the planet likes to hear, wait your turn. How many of you get excited when somebody says, oh, just wait your turn? Yes, I get to wait my turn. No, nobody. Nobody gets excited about that. Nobody, no husband, likes to hear from his wife. Not, not that I've ever heard this from mine. Honey, I'll be there in just a minute. I just, one more thing to do. One more thing, and 20 minutes later, she's finally done, and you're ready to go. No wife likes to hear from her. You know, you know, uh, honey, you said you'd fix the kitchen faucet like three months ago, and it's still dripping. We don't like to wait. And no one likes to wait at the DMV. I mean, I could go on and on. We just don't like to wait. And how many of you would be honest and say, wait's the four-letter word in your world? Let me, let me see your hands. Come on. Yeah, most of you are honest. That's good. Now, here's where it gets really complicated. Here's, let's get real here. It's extremely difficult for us when we feel like God is saying wait. Okay, it's hard enough to wait for your spouse, hard enough to wait for the DMV, hard enough to wait for whatever. But when you feel like God is saying wait, not yet, that makes it even harder. So we fast, we pray, we search the scriptures, we vow to be better, do better, believing that somehow we might twist God's arm. I've been there. Oh, God, please, if I, if I just fast one more day, one more meal, maybe, maybe it'll happen now. And when nothing happens, when it doesn't happen, or at least not in the way we want it to or the timing we want it to, 
don't know about you, but I've been known to curse the heavens because God seems silent. I get angry. Dear friend of mine, uh, she lives in L.A. She didn't get married until she was in her mid-30s, at 35 or 36. Her husband was uh, 40, and uh, so they didn't want to wait long to have children. They told me when we did their premarital, and, and I said, no, and I said, what do you think about family? Oh, you know, we're, we're both ready to start kids, having kids pretty quick right away. But 10 years, I get choked up every time I think about it. 10 years and two miscarriages later, they're still without kids today. And not too long ago, I asked her, I said, how are you holding up? Stupid question. Really was. I mean, it's not well. And she said something uh, that just broke me. She said, my heart hurts every day. My heart hurts every day. Waiting is hard. And the more we want something, the more difficult it is to wait. If you've wrestled waiting for a dream that seems elusive, or a promise, maybe even a promise from God that seems delayed, then you know what I mean. If you beg God for something, anything, and you feel like your prayers don't go any higher than the ceiling, then today's talk is for you, and I would encourage you to listen. We want to believe that God has a plan, and the truth is, he does. But we want to believe it's a plan that aligns with our plan, and our timing, and our frame of reference, our schedule. We're desperate for hope. We pray for patience. We really want God to do something. But then we lie awake in our beds at night wondering, has God forgotten is he even listening to me? Does he care? Or perhaps, and you know, once we stop blaming God or trying to figure him out, this is what a lot of us do. I've, I've done this a hundred times. We begin to look inward. Well, maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's not happened because I'm an idiot, because I've sinned, because I'm not as good as I should be, because I've failed. Maybe I deserve this agony, and we wrestle with this. Some of us have heard this verse from others. We've read it. It's a fairly famous verse in Christian circles, Isaiah 40, 31. Let me read it to you. It says, They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I mean, we've got songs we sing to that verse. Some of you know it. You're like, yeah, I know that. We've been there. But I tell you, maybe you've secretly thought like I have at times. If one more person tells me to wait on the Lord, I'm going to hurt somebody. But if whatever strength I can muster out, I'm going to, I'm going to take them out because we don't want to hear those words. And I know, I've been there. Now, of course, I believe that scripture is true. But telling me or telling somebody to wait on the Lord when it feels like that's all they've done for years, maybe decades, frankly, uh, is not very helpful. It's, it's sort of like telling somebody who's lost a spouse, well, I know you're hurting, but at least they're in a better place. Man, it drives us crazy when we get some pat religious answer from people. And so I'm not going to do that today, I promise you. But I do want to talk about what should we do? What can we do? A couple things that we can do. What does it take to wait without going Looney Tunes, without becoming suicidal? What should we do? And I don't think we should get immobilized by fear. And I, I'm always amazed uh, at the survival of the species called squirrels. Sometimes we feel like squirrels, you know, we're, we, we jump out of the middle of the road and a car's coming. And we don't know, do I stop? Do I run faster? Do I go back? It really, squirrels should be like an endangered species. They're the stupidest animals on the planet next to deer. And, and it's like, really, how does this happen? You know, that it, sometimes it's exactly how we feel, though. We, we, we see something coming, uh, we get immobilized by fear. Maybe we should just give up. What do you do when you're waiting? Just quit? I'm done waiting, bag it, forget it, screw God, screw everything, I'm, I'm out of here. 
Or perhaps, and here's what I'm famous for, I'm just going to take matters into my own hands. I mean, doesn't the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? By the way, it doesn't say that. That's not what the Bible teaches, but that's what we think. Well, I'm just going to pull myself together. I'm going to just make this happen in my own way. And by the way, every time I've done that, it ends poorly. Well, I want to suggest to you today that at the heart of this issue of waiting really is another word. It's the word trust. At the heart of our struggle with wait is one word, and it's the word trust. Will we trust in God? I had you turn to Genesis 15. Let's pick it up in verse 1. We're going to take a look at a story of a guy named Abram. Later, God changed his name to Abraham. And what we're going to see is what he didn't do that he should have done. I love this story because Abraham's called the father of faith. He's this great hero to, you know, to millions and millions on the planet today. Jews, Arabs, they still consider you know, Abraham this great guy, this great man. And yet this great man of God, who was in fact a man of great faith, struggled with waiting just like we do. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After this, meaning after Abe saved his, his uh, nephew Lot, another story. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Verse 2. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I'm remaining childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so the servant of my household will be my heir. Abe's point is, thanks God for your favor. That's kind of cool. I appreciate the great encouraging words. But I ain't got no kid. I have a son. The, a servant of my household is going to in, in, inherit everything I have. Abraham was not happy. Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eliezer, will not be your heir, but a son who's from your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And then God does the coolest thing in the world. Verse 5. God took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. I, I get choked up every time. I, I imagine this scene where God says, come here. Come here, Abe. Take a look. As many as the stars, more than that, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6 says, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited him to him as righteousness. And again, now on the coolness scale, how cool is this? This is pretty awesome. God says, I hear you, Abe. I know your concern. I know I gave you a promise. You're going to end up with a sky full of descendants. Back in Genesis 12, I won't go there, but just to give you a little background, Abe's 75 years old. God calls him away from his home, his family, his country to go to a place that God would show him. And in that time, in Genesis 12, God gave him this promise. I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a great nation. Reference, inference being, you're going to have lots and lots of descendants. Years pass. And we find ourselves in Genesis 15, the passage we just read. And what does God do? He reaffirms. I'm sure Abe was thinking, God, it's been a long time. Uh, you paying attention to what's going on here? But God reaffirms his promise to Abe and says, hold on. The day is coming. And as many as the stars, so shall your descendants be. And again, this incredible passage, verse 6. Abram believed the Lord. He believed God. But if we zoom out and we know the whole story, which we'll look at another part of it in a minute, I will tell you that Abe believed until he didn't. He trusted God until he didn't. Let's fast forward to Genesis 16. Turn over a page. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Abraham is now about 85 years of age. Genesis 16.1, now Sarai, later became Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So God gives him this promise, 10 years past. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children, so go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. 
And Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. And by the way, that seems like, what? That's kind of weird. That's, what is he, well, that's, in that culture, it was not that uncommon. The greatest responsibility of a woman in that day and age was to bear a, a son, to give a son to her husband. And if she couldn't have children, especially couldn't have a son, then it was allowed. It was a kind of a known thing. Well, then they could take a slave and have a surrogate child, as a surrogate mother, and, to, and that the woman, the wife, the first wife, would actually raise the child as her own. Verse 3. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, okay, 75 to 85, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her, hus uh, gave her, to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And when she, Hagar, knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, Sarai. So the slave begins to despise the wife, I'm sure, you know, giving her a hard time. Look me, I'm pregnant, you can't, you need her, need her, I don't know. But so she, she despised her. Verse 5, then Sarai said to Abraham, you are, I love this, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now she knows that she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Uh, verse 2, Sarai, this was your idea. But, you know, she's unhappy. And uh, Abe does the wise thing, as every husband knows. Uh, honey, you're right. <laughs> I'm just paraphrasing here. He's, your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Again, not cool. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Now, he knew. But he was dialing up. What's going on here? She says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Verse 9. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, and I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. And you shall name him Ishmael. Now, Ishmael is a really, actually, a very cool name. You don't run into a lot of Ishmaels, but it means God hears. Isn't that awesome? God hears, for the Lord has heard your misery. Like I said, Abe trusted in God until he didn't. He trusted and believed until he didn't. He waited 10 long years, 10 years of hearing his wife wail every time her menstrual cycle started, 10 years of watching others around him have children, 10 long years of wondering, maybe God is not listening, maybe I didn't hear God right, maybe I failed God, maybe this is my fault. But then it gets worse. This, what's, this is amazing. It was another 15 years. I'm going to paraphrase the rest of the story. Another 15 years before the promised son, before Isaac was born. Genesis 21, we find out that Abe was 100 years old. All right, do the math. 75 when he gets to the initial promise, I'm going to make you a great nation. 85 when God comes and reaffirms, says, I'm going to give you descendants as many as the stars in the heaven. 15, 14, 15, 16 years later, Abe is 100 years old. And, to, and finally, God gives him the promise, son. I get impatient waiting for my computer to boot up. <laughs> I was irritated this morning at the irony of that. It's, of course, it struck me. I'm sitting in the barista line, the wake-up call, and some guy in a pickup truck is hitting on the barista, taking way too long for his cup of coffee. It's like, dude, just get out of there. Stop talking. I've got things to do. You know? I get impatient waiting in a line at the coffee shop. And some of you, honestly, I can see it on your faces, you can't wait for me to stop talking about waiting. <laughs> but again, what does it take to wait? How do we trust to God? I'm going to quickly cover two things. I've unpacked the problem. I think most of us can identify it. What do we do? 
And I told you I'm not going to give you a religious pat answer, but I do want you to think about these two things. Here's the first one. Determine now what you will do during the delay. I think we have to come to a point now, early on in the process, where we determine what we're going to do when things don't go the way we want them to go. Because, you know, if you wait until you've waited to the point of frustration to decide how you're going to handle delay, then you, you're going to be in trouble. You've waited too long. You're probably going to fail. You can't wait until you just, you know, get into it 10 years, 15, 20 years to decide what you're going to do. I want to encourage you to decide now. All right, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to trust. I'm going to make decisions now about my future. If you try to decide early on what you're going to do when things don't go your way and what, when things don't go as you expect, when there's this long, even a very long gap between your dreams and fulfillment, I think there's far more likely that you'll trust God when you've already decided to trust him. Does that make sense? If I am in this place, and again, way before I'm stressed out and frustrated, I, I take a position, a choice to say, I don't know how long this is going to take, but what I do know is I'm going to trust him. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm certainly not saying waiting is fun. And this is important. Deciding in advance, however, how you will respond to delay is always better than reacting out of frustration. Let me say that again. Deciding in advance how you will respond to delay is always better than reacting out of frustration. Always. Abe took matters into his own hands. And that one act created tension in his marriage, tension in his family, and, and eventually tension in his heart. He actually had, later on had to send Hagar and Ishmael off. They, they didn't even get to live with Abraham anymore. Created all sorts of problems. The one reaction on his part created a, a lifetime of heartache for him. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is found in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Trust. And to trust means you don't lean on your own understanding. It means that even when things don't make sense, you wait. It means that even when people closest to you are trying to pull a Sarah and they're screaming at you, do something, you choose to wait. And the promise of God from this passage and others is that God will get you where you need to be, precisely when you need to be there. In fact, it says he'll straighten out a path and get you where he wants you to be. I want to suggest maybe it's time that we figure out that God's timing is different than ours, but always better. Maybe it's time we remember that God sees the end from the beginning. You know, it amazes me when I stop and reflect on how little I know and how much God knows. And I get so ticked off at times at God and at life when I see just so little of what's actually going on. And I don't know what ripple effect the, the wait, the time, the delay may have that might actually be good for someone else, good for the kingdom, maybe good for my character. And it's really difficult for me when I get all focused and inwardly focused on what I know, what I believe, what I want, and I don't stop and remember. The Bible says trust in God, who knows far more than we do, who sees the end from the beginning, and who is more concerned with the process than he is sometimes with just the destination. What happens in and through you matters a lot to God while you wait. Decide now what you'll do then. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Number two. During the wait for your future, be sure to engage actively in your present with joy. I have wrestled so many times with this. 
But I want to challenge you to grow in this and to decide again what you're going to do. And then during the future, during the wait, during the delay, be sure to engage actively in your present, what's happening right now with joy. I love this quote by author Greg Anderson. He says, focus on the journey, not just the destination. Focus on the journey, not just the end. Sadly, sometimes we're so focused on our future and what we want or the destination where we want to end up that we miss what's right in front of us now. And I am not thinking of anyone here in this room, so if you think I'm, I'm reading your mail, I'm not. But I can own this personally. There's so many times I've been looking so far down the road, so looking to what I want, what I dream about, what I, maybe the promise I felt God gave to me, that in looking so far ahead, what I miss is right here, what's all around me. Sometimes we're so preoccupied with our future desires that we don't live fully in the present. We miss what God's doing right now. I know a guy, we'll call him Bob, not his real name. Bob had an amazing wife and three incredibly gifted and amazing kids. Unfortunately, Bob was driven by a desperate need to make his mark in history. His words, not mine. And in the process, he neglected his wife, he neglected his kids. And by 40, he'd lost everything. He lost his wife, she divorced him, had almost no relationship with his children, and had lost everything. By 52, 52 years of age, he had his first heart attack. And I went and visited him in the hospital. And from his hospital bed, he looked at me and says, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get out of here. He did, by the way. But he said, my greatest regret are the lost years I could have had with my kids and my wife. I, here's what he said, and I will never forget. This guy's laying in a hospital bed with tubes all over his body, near-death experience, and he says, I sacrificed what I had for a dream I never realized. I sacrificed what I had. Let me ask you, what do you have right now? I know, I want to be married. I want a husband. I want children. I want to live, you know, adequately. I'm tired of being poor all the time. I want to get over this physical, chronic illness I'm dealing with. I know, I understand, I am so sympathetic to the struggle you face. But guys, let me ask you this very honest and real question. What are you missing? What do you have right now that you have to be thankful for? While waiting for the one big thing Bob desired, he missed a thousand little things that mattered so much more. So I'm challenging you today to embrace the wait. To embrace the wait. And that's not easy to do. But in those weeks, months, years, or even decades, while you're waiting for whatever it is you long for, be grateful for the many blessings you already have from God. Look around you and intentionally, intentionally be thankful for the things God has given to you. November, first Sunday November, we're going to start a series, new one after this, called 1,000 Gifts. And I don't know if you've read uh, Ann Voskamp's book, amazing book. We'll have some copies available here. But we're going to take the five Sundays in November and talk about Thanksgiving. Because I think one of the great things that are lost in our culture and certainly lost even in the church today is an attitude of gratitude. Where we just live with thankful hearts. Something happens when instead of just getting focused on what I don't have, what's not happening, what I wish I had that I, I am not experiencing, and when I shift from that and I begin to just take my heart to God, I say, God, yes, those are things I long for. I ache for them. And yet... Father, I'm so grateful for this. I'm so thankful for this. I'm so, I see the thousand things you've put into my world and my life that I want to be grateful for and thankful for. One of my favorite teachings of Jesus is found in Matthew 6. I'm going to wrap this up in just a minute. 
But in this one chapter, Jesus teaches about giving to the needy, about prayer, about the kingdom of God, and about a topic that is important for all of us. He talks about worry. In Matthew 6, 34, Jesus said, Do not worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Living faithfully is a large enough task for today. I love that. Living faithfully. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what may or may not happen. Living faithfully is a large enough task for today. Sounds like Jesus is encouraging us to live in the present, that living in the present matter to him as well. I hate to wait. I've already admitted that. I'm owning that. I had to struggle with it in the coffee line this morning. I'm still in process learning how to do this better. But I have learned some things along the way that I hope you'll walk out of here with today. One of them being, decide now what you're going to do. You think, well, I've already been waiting for 10 years. too late. No, well, decide today what you're going to do if it takes another 10 years. Decide now to trust. To trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And to not lean on your own understanding the way you think it ought to be. And then look around you. Don't be so focused on the future, what you hope for, that you miss all that God has given to you right now. One last story. I have a dear friend. I've known her since she was a little girl. Her name is Brooke. I love her. I knew her daddy. Uh, her dad passed away in his 30s of cancer. An amazing man, amazing family. And I just saw uh, his uh, wife and some of his kids recently. But Brooke is this incredibly gifted, talented, 30-something young woman. She is smart. She loves to write. She's got her master's. She's uh, personable. She's fun. She's attractive. She's so many things going for her. And what she wants more than anything on the planet is to be married. Brooks got everything. I, mean, I just kind of looked and said, what's wrong with men today? What are they looking for? And this, this girl is awesome. And yet, that guy, that husband is not there yet for her. But what I love about Brooke, and again, I, I, I would do anything for this young woman, but what I love about her is that she is living a very full life. She is not so focused on what she wants, what she longs for, that she's missing all that God has given to her right now. And she's having an impact, literally. She's a blogger and writer. She's really very smart. She's having an impact on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And now, because of the life she's choosing to be grateful for today. That's my prayer for you. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, I know um, personally how much I've wrestled with this. And I've, I've just I've looked around the room this morning looking at the faces of people who I love dearly and knowing some of them are aching right now. And I know, Lord, that they um, have wrestled with everything from anger to bitterness to despair over waiting for that dream, that promise, perhaps even from you. And I know the, the agony of longing and how difficult it is to go day after day, week, month, year, decades, wondering, and I know we tend to turn it inward. We look at ourselves, what's wrong with me, what's wrong with us, or we blame you, or we blame life. God, today, would you just somehow cause us to realign our hearts today in a way that, Holy Spirit, only you can do. Help us to decide now to trust you. And, and then, Lord, tomorrow morning when we get up, to decide again to trust you, to trust you to not take matters into our own hands, to not 
react, but to really respond with trust in you. And then, God, I pray that you would, even now, right now, Lord, open hearts, open eyes, open minds for people here to see the things all around them, that they would leave here today realizing, man, I really am blessed. God has given me so much. I, I have way more than I deserve. Friends, family. I have so much to be grateful for and that we would choose today to leave here with grateful hearts. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I, I just be as real as I can. I can't imagine my life without God. I just can't imagine it. Because He is my everything. He's my rock that I lean on. He's the one who holds me in His arms when I'm just messed up and broken. He's the one who loves me and forgives me time and time again. And I want you to know Him. Jesus wants you to be in relationship with Him. That's why He came. The Bible says we believe with our hearts, we confess with our mouth, and then that's how we find that salvation, that hope. And you're here today and you're ready to begin your life as a Christ follower. And you want that relationship with God. That he, he loved you so much, He sent His Son to die for you. I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. Would you make this your prayer right now? If this is what you want, just make this prayer yours. Father, thank you. I guess I should be grateful that you came, Jesus, for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for living for me. Thank you for accepting me. I don't get it. How can you love me? I'm so far, so messed up and so not what I know I can or should be or want to be. And yet I, somehow in my heart right now, I get it. You love me. You love me. You love me. And so my response today to you is I love you. I choose to love you. I choose to surrender my life to you. I choose to believe. Now that's you. you. Just say, yep, that's what I want, God. The Bible says that moment you say yes to him, the moment you surrender, he doesn't fix everything overnight. It's, it's not like some magic pill you take. It's not some smart pill that automatically makes you the brightest person on the planet. It just gives you hope that you didn't have because he's with you and you can trust him. And you're beginning a journey right now. It's a journey from here into eternity. And thank you for making that choice. Lord, seal in their hearts how much you love them and what they've done today. But all of us, lead us here, from here, with our eyes fixed on you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with a, actually an old hymn that's been modernized. I love this. That's a declaration. I want you to sing this today as a declaration. You might be thinking, those words are not true for me yet. Sing it as a declaration. Sing it as a prayer. God, this is what I want. Let's worship. Let's sing this, and I'll come back and wrap it up. I love you guys. I've been praying all week for you to have hearts that are open to growing in this thing called trust as you wait. Today, if you become a Christ follower, I'm going to encourage you to let somebody know. Come let me know. On the tables by the doors, the packets is for new believers. Pick one of those up. It's a Bible, so we're going to walk with Jesus, and we want to walk with you. 
Communion's available both sides of the room. I mentioned last week we've got gluten-free communion now if you need that. In the back of the information table. Um, prayer team will be up front. Guys, I, I want to encourage you. I know there's a thousand things on television and things you can do and you're tired, you know, from work. Man, come back Wednesday night. 6.30 right here. I want us to happen for the kids. The youth are going to join us. And I'm excited about what God's put on my heart to share with you in our worship. And Joe and Betsy, it's going to be so healing, so awesome. Come Wednesday night. Here's my prayer for you today. Here's my benediction. Go. Trust in the week. God bless you guys. I love you. Thanks for being here today.